Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high and deep and gone. Still going. It's Monday, February 14th. It's the call-up. It's also Valentine's Day. And Jack McMullen, thank you for joining me uh, for this Valentine's Day farm system rundown of the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, man, the Giants have a piece of my heart. So uh, I am I'm currently in Milwaukee with my girlfriend who's in med school uh, at Medical College of Wisconsin. So um, I am I'm up here and she is uh, watching lectures. We're doing dinner tonight, though. So that allows me the morning to talk about the giant system, which is exactly how I want to spend Valentine's Day. Right. I mean, this is this is how it works out perfectly. You get to get the best of both worlds. And this is baseball is kind of the side the side piece a little bit, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The side piece. Sure. Aram. Yeah, absolutely. That's my other family. Probably not the best, not the best day to to bring up just the term side piece. (laughs) Probably not. Um, But no, we're going to talk about this giant system. And I mean, this is a really, really top end talented system, but with the giants, what they do, man, is they, they just identify certain players that check the boxes that they like. And, they're deep with those guys. I think you'll notice through these write-ups, which by the way, you can check out it's linked in the description as always uh, to check out the write-ups and the rankings here at just baseball.com, which we put up actually last week. Uh, But what's interesting, especially on the lefty side, all of the Southpaws have a fastball that has riding life and, and is deceptive. Like they have a funky delivery with a lot of riding action. And then just some sort of off-speed pitch, usually a changeup that works well off of it. But it's like the funkiness and the fastball profile. You see that throughout the system, but it's worked for them. Yeah, so when you look at depth and development, everybody's looking up at the Dodgers, right? And then you've got the Dodgers, you've got a massive gap, you've got the Rays, you've got another massive gap, and then everybody else. But I think at the top of everybody else is the Giants, where they locate a type that they really like, especially on the mound. You know, they've got a wide array of guys from Joey Bart to Luis Matos, who we'll get into, to Luciano, to Hunter Bishop. Like all these guys have different offensive profiles, but a lot of the pitchers kind of do the same thing. And I think they located something that they really like, Um, much like the Rays, where they take a right-hander with one thing that they do really, really well and tell them to only do that thing and then all of a sudden they become an all-star bullpen piece. Like, yeah, that's kind of what the Giants are turning into. They're also the slider whispers. It, you'll see, yeah. I mean, you look at the slider profile when somebody gets to the Rays and uh, like even Luis Patino just totally changes. Like, they they right. know how to make a slider work off of your fastball. 
And I think with with the the Giants, they know how to find guys with an arsenal that that works well off of itself. And that's the biggest thing is, is I've been really adamant about this. I talked about it with Ken Waldachuk when I went through the Yankees farm system as well. Like, yeah. I think that sometimes we get too caught up in ranking individual pitches, right? How is this fastball in a vacuum? How is this changeup in a vacuum? That is important. But how do those pitches work off each other? And I always use the Trevor Rogers analogy because that's a guy I watch a ton of, but also I think he's a great analogy is like the changeup was never graded as a plus pitch, but because yeah. he is so impossible to pick up out of the hand, like so hard to read out of the hand and the fastball has such a life that the changeup, you can't differentiate it until the final 20 feet. And it, it just drops out of the, t- like out of the exact opposite trajectory that the fastball was coming at, but it looks like it was going to be the same up until that final point. So even if it's a 55, it plays up to like a 65 because the pitches work off of each other so well. The reason why I'm priming with this is that'll be a trend with a lot of the pitchers. And I think it's something that's really undervalued in baseball and something that the Giants have have picked up on is like, okay, yeah, that changeup might be a 55, but it plays off of his fastball so well that it's plus. When was the last time the Giants had a starting pitcher? You know, I, I look at Doval here and like, of course, he's he's a freak. But when was the last time the Giants groomed a starting pitcher with just stupid stuff? I don't remember. Was it Lincecum? But like Lincecum, even, even he didn't have the nastiest stuff. And he was they deceptive guys, too. <laughs> yeah, he was deceptive because the long stride short guy. But like, um, you know, they do a really good job of finding guys that have confidence in their stuff. And, yeah. you know, we'll talk about it with Will Bednar. We'll talk about it with Kyle Harrison, you know, staying in the NL West here. Uh, one of the reasons that Ethan Elliott is a top 10 Padres prospect. Yeah. Like, how can you put a lefty that throws 88 and he's 25 years old in a top 10 of an organization? The answer is because the fastball and the changeup look one and the same until they're about five feet away from the swing path. And like it works. There's something. Yeah, it works. Like if it works, we're not going to ding you. And there are a lot of guys on the mound in the giant system where it just works. A hundred percent. And as we get into number one here and we get into the rest of the guys, like I think there's a pretty obvious trend here that they have more of a system, as you mentioned with pitchers and hitters, but it's because pitchers are just easier to identify than hitters because you have the pitch profile, you have the velo, you have the spin rates, you have basically a track record of what you can compare it to. Whereas hitters are just a lot more, more difficult and individual. It's like, it's like college recruiting, right? If you're on the high school circuit and you're, you're looking to pick up a D one offer, the easiest way is to hop on the mound and throw 94. Like if you, if you get on the mound and throw 94 for one pitch, like it doesn't even need to be a strike, but if you top at 94, you're getting an offer from Presbyterian or somebody like that. Like you're going to be fine. You're going to be, I'll I'll never, I'll never forget it before we jump into it. I was, I was uh, watching. So I played for a summer organization in South Florida Uh, called uh, elite squad. And there was two teams. So there was like the, the a team, which was insane. And then there was the B team, which was the one I was on, which was still really solid. Hey, it was really solid. Um, And like anytime, anytime the a team needed more guys, like, or, or needed a, a boost. Like we were basically like the, the extension of that. And sometimes we'd play each other in like the quarterfinals and they'd work us at like, yeah. you know, East Cobb or whatever. But on that team was Colton Welker. He's just Wizardo. Dude, um, it goes on and on. There's probably about uh, like Evan McKendry, a bunch of different like prospects and, and legit guys. And I remember uh, Lizardo was throwing, this was like maybe 15 years old. And he's like 88, 89, 89, 89, 89 on the gun. And right next to me is, is one of Scott Boris's guys. No joke. Can't make this up. He, he sails one 
and it's 90 and you literally just see the, the Boris guy put, put, put the radar gun down. He makes a call and he's like, I, I, I got to make a call right now. Like makes a call. He's like, yeah, he hit a 90, he hit a 90, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he literally looks at me and goes, you know where Jesus Luzardo's parents are? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, no, I, I was just at the game to watch some of my buddies that were on the team. Cause we always practice together. And, uh, I was just like, this is, this is wild. Um, like Dude, the one it, mile per it's hour. It's all about a number. Yeah. It's, it's all, all about, about a number. number. I mean, and how, man, the guy ended up being fantastic and, and ended up being a dude. Um, but yeah, that, I thought that was funny. It just like seeing that in real time was, was pretty wild. Um, no, but I, it's crazy, man. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what scouts were saying when they saw 16 year old Marco Luciano taking hat, <laughs> you know, oh, cause like, God. I thought about that with Chapman a lot, but now like, like when you saw the lefty throwing 104, like they must've been like, Oh my gosh. But with Luciano, you were seeing, cause he's a guy that's still, he's filled out more. He's six two one eighty. Obviously he's the number one prospect in this system. He, he's a top 10 prospect in baseball or top 12. And the, the thing that stands out with Luciano though, is how much the power defies the frame. Like he's filled out. He's six two one eighty now. And he's wiry strong. But I mean, when, when he's hitting balls 118, 119 miles an hour with that frame, you're just not really seeing that. And it's it's reminiscent to me of, of Fernando Tatis, right? Like you don't you don't see players that aren't monstrous uh, hitting those kind of ridiculous exit velos that he has. And I think ro- like the, the home run he hit off of Ryan Rolison uh, in, in the backfields during instructs uh, during COVID it was 118.6 and it was a bajillion feet. I feel like that was kind of his coming out party into the mainstream of people realizing like this guy's got something you can't teach. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And the thing with Luciano is like, uh, yes, he struck out a lot when he hit higher levels, but the swing, like just the build, seeing the way he commands and at bat, it's just like a, no 20 year old on planet earth should be doing that. And yeah. he's doing it. That's just the the gravitas that Marco Luciano brings to professional baseball and brings to a professional baseball at bat. And like, that's what he's going to do for the next 15 years. If we're being totally honest, I mean, this guy is, yeah, obviously like 20 years old, a lot of time for things to go South, but with a teenage prospect taking professional baseball by storm, the way he did, he feels like the safest 20 year old high ceiling guy ever. Yeah. And, and which is funny because his ceiling, of course, is not as high as or his is way higher than Luis Matos, or at least not way higher, but higher. But Matos is another safe 20 year old in a different way because of his bat to ball skills. But when it comes to Luciano, yeah, his quality of contact is just so absurd. I mean, if you look at his slugging on contact, it, he doesn't even need to be an insane bat to ball guy to have success. Right. And, and we look at Fernando Tatis. And the guy's not off the chart zone contact. The guy does strike out a little bit, but he has so much quality. He gets so much bang for his buck that you, you don't have to worry about it too much. And what's con- what, what's encouraging for me with Luciano is the chase rates aren't bad. The chase rates really aren't that bad. It's just more a matter of, of understanding where you're at in the count, knowing what pitches to pull the trigger at. And that's, that's going to be the theme with the two 20 year olds here, which is, Typical, right? Like if we're talking about guys that were probably impacted the most by no 2020 season, it's those young ahead of their time teenagers that were ready to, to make this jump last year. And now we're a year behind, like they would have been doing this as a 19 year old. We would have seen them in a ball as 19 year olds where well, they were, but like 
newly turned 19 year olds closer to 18 during that season. And it would have been like, holy crap, how are they doing this? I think the numbers would have been pretty similar. Um, so, I mean, what we're seeing from Luciano already is insane. I'm not going to really be worried about struggles in high A because the chase rates aren't that high. And also, like you said, he commands the at-bats pretty well. It's just a little bit of swing happiness and a little bit of just just seeing pitching that is way more advanced than anything you're used to seeing. Right, Jack? I mean, going into this year, he'd only played 47 professional games and 38 of them were in rookie ball. So, I mean, like he had not seen any legit organized advanced pitching outside of whatever they were doing on the backfields. No, I, I listen back end of the year. He was seeing guys that are 25, 26 years old. I mean, you see freshmen in college get outclassed by seniors in college, even if they are one of the best freshmen in America. Sometimes when they just see a senior Friday night guy, they're going to get blitzed by that because they haven't been around it. And that's four years older. You never see that type of age gap unless you're a freshman playing on varsity in high school ball. Like that's what you have to look at with these guys, but it's almost on crack because like Luciano is five years younger than a pitcher he's seeing who has, by the way, spent five more years in professional baseball, only focusing on bulking up, throwing hard and developing nasty stuff. Like getting guys out. Yeah. Getting guys out. He spent five years of his life dedicated to getting guys out. And he's seeing that as a 20 year old and he's faring somewhat well, and he's hitting the crap out of the ball when he puts the bat on the ball. Um, And, you know, like what I love about a guy like Luciano is it's going to work, whether he plays short, whether he plays second, whether he plays third, it's going to work. And he's going to be an infielder for the San Francisco Giants. Question is where, where do you see him? Yeah, I, I see him at third. I I really do. Um, You know that he, you want, I really want to see him stick it short. It's not impossible. Uh, You just, the the actions aren't as smooth as as you'd like. Uh, he's not quite as as agile and and getting to the places where he needs to get to as you'd like to see. But he has a rocket for an arm, seventy grade arm, easy. Uh, and and you know I think at the third base spot he can be a little bit more comfortable being flat footed at times. Like that that was the problem at shortstop. He'd catch himself on a bad hop. He'd catch himself in bad spots. And I don't know if his reads are fantastic there off the bat. It could get better. Again, he, he's somebody that's extremely young. So I'm not going to say the ship has sailed there, but if I'm going to bet on one, I think he's going to throw on a little bit more weight. And I think he'll settle in at third where the bat's more going to play there. I mean, like it will more than play at third, just fine. I don't think there's any concern about that. And the arm will play there. Well, uh, on the offensive side, the thing I'm really the only thing that really stands out to me with Luciano is he struggles with changeups like extremely bad. That's the one thing he crushes fastballs. We saw when he was playing in the Arizona Fall League. I mean, he, he was better there. A 730 OPS. You're not writing home about that, but he's one of the youngest guys in the Fall League by far. He, he was yeah. better over the last few games in high A, starting to settle down with that. But he, he struggles to stay back at times, and the changeups just did him in. So if you look at his lefty-righty splits, crushes righties, lefties gave him some fits. So I, I'm interested to see how he can make those approach adjustments because changeups were uh, a, a problem big time problem, which is ironic, but makes sense because if you have some of the quickest bat speed out there, you know, you can catch up to anything. That's not that hard. Even 95 plus he was crushing it. But when you have to now, instead of just react, you have to say, let me read that pitch, wait and drive it the other way. 
that's something that comes with experience. And I think we're seeing right now the natural tools shine through. The stuff that's going to come with experience is taking some time. But the high A pitchers, you're going to see a lot more lefties who can feel the change up. And in double A, you're mm-hmm. going to see even more. So I'm expecting him to repeat in Eugene next year. And once he shows some consistent splits from both sides, I think he can get bumped up through the first couple months to double A. But there's no reason to rush him. Yeah, there's no reason to rush. And there are some organizations who traditionally just rush the crap out of their prospects. And okay, like, yeah, get get your guys up quick, but there's no need to expose them the way that Jared Kelnick was exposed the first time up in Seattle. There's no need to expose um, certain players like Julio Rios. He was too young to make his MLP debut. He got lit up his first couple of outings. He went down to Oklahoma city, figured stuff out. And now Urias can plausibly win the Cy Young in 2022. So might as well save yourself some trouble on the front end and just let him figure stuff out. in Eugene send him up to Richmond let him figure out some stuff in Richmond, send him up to Sacramento. When you feel like he's ready to be a San Francisco giant, make Marco Luciano a San Francisco giant. And that might be end of 2023. That might be breaking camp in 2024. But Luciano, when he comes up, is going to be an impact bat for you. Yep, <clears throat> totally agree. And, and I'm really excited to, to see how Luciano continues to develop because he's got the stuff you, you can't teach. And, and another guy that's a bit different with the, teenage freak stuff you can't teach, but he could be another star in this system is Luis Matos, who I'm going to have way up there on the top 100 list. I think people are going to be surprised at how high he is on the top 100 list. Another 19 year old who signed for much less, not quite as highly touted as an international free agent, $725,000 for his international signing bonus. Not as big of a dude at 5'11", 160, yet he is able to produce some pretty impressive exit velos up to you know 108 109 at even times touching 110 and i think there was i mean the amount of balls he put in play over 105 was extremely impressive but what really impresses me is the bat to ball skills i mean he makes a ton of contact he is such an advanced hitter for a teenager who missed a year of development and the numbers were were really good last year and they weren't too aggressive with him. That, that, that's what I like to see as well. We didn't see the uh, the Giants as aggressive with Matos, which I was afraid of just because of how, how comfortable he is with his bat-to-ball skills. There's an aggressive approach, which I'll get into, but I, I was really encouraged and really impressed by Matos' season. He spent the entire year with San Jose at the low A level, and this guy had a 6% walk rate, a 12% strikeout rate. His slash line was 313, 358, 494, which equates to an 853 OPS. He had a 121 WRC plus. So like this guy as a 19, 20 year old was, I mean, really good. <laughs> like I, there's no other way to frame it. He was just good at putting the ball in play. There's not necessarily the problem of always putting it on the ground way too often, or he's popping up way too often. Like it is spread out ground balls, line drives, fly balls. Um, and listen, you have him listed at what? 160. Is that yeah. right? 511, 160. Yeah. He's not 160. He's not 160. He might be six foot 190. I I'm sure of that. Just watching it on, you know, these broadcasts here. um, I know a lot of minor league organizations don't do a great job of staying up to date with height and weight. Um, And that that's the listed thing on fan graphs and MLB pipeline and and all that stuff, like on the, on the San Jose giants roster. Um, 
So I one sixty maybe when he signed, but like this guy is is a bulky one ninety. He looks like he packs a punch. Yeah, and he does. He does, and it's funny. I was looking at the one sixty, and I'm like, all right, well, what am I gonna do? Guess his weight? Like, I, you're right because, but everywhere is listed at one sixty, which is wild. Yeah. They usually take those measurements at time of signing. So what we did with the tin caps and and my boss with Fort Wayne, John Nolan did a good job keying me into this. Like, you know, a lot of these guys are listed at like 155 pounds. I'm like, no, you're not like yeah. Tirso Ornelas is a massive human being. I think he's around 230, 235. Yeah, he's huge. And his listed weight was like 180 because that's what he was when he signed. And it's like, what are we doing here? You're painting the wrong picture of this guy. If you're just looking at the roster. Um, so naturally, you know, a lot of the people that are the decision makers in minor league baseball and major league baseball are watching the tape and they know that Tirso Ornelas is not 180 pounds, but you know, we made sure to ask the strength coach, can you give us an Excel sheet of height and weight for these guys? Because we want to paint a, a real picture and Luis Matos, the real picture, he's probably six foot, 185, 190. And you, you can see it with the way he impacts the baseball. I mean, 15 jacks in what was not that much action in his first professional season, right? 109 games to put 15 up there. I mean, you play in 162, he's easily getting to 20. And that's with a 313 batting average. What really stands out to me with, with Matos right now in terms of, you know, where he is in his development is it's a classic thing that we see, Jack, with super confident hitters. When you're someone like Matos who has really high-end contact rates, whether it's in the zone or out of the zone, he's above average. He's even more above average outside of the zone, which is, a, as I put in the write-up, a double-edged sword because it, you have the ability of, okay, I can get to any pitch and you've got those hands and you've got the ability to get to anything. That's good, right? That's good when you want to spoil pitches with two strikes, but when you're in a one Oh count and you're swinging at a fastball, you know, six inches off the plate because you're just always in swing mode. You can't do much with that pitch and you're squandering a hitter's count um, in, in a spot where maybe you don't want to do that. And we saw that a lot with Matos, which was just, you know, not picking the right spots. Um, that bat to ball ability resulted in a lot of contact that, you know, wasn't the highest quality when it was in the spot that he could hit it, especially middle in. I mean, he is insane with his ability to rotate and get to pitches middle in and crush them. Um, but we saw a little bit of just this, I can get to anything, so I'm going to swing at everything. And, and he'll get better at that as, as he continues to feel out, you know, just what it is to be a professional hitter. You, you can't do that. You've got to leverage your hitters counts. Yeah, it, it's a maturity thing. Like, I think we both know that it's a maturity thing. And it looks like there will be a greater difference at some point in his career between OBP and batting average. Like it was like a 40 point difference this yeah. year between OBP and batting average. And usually that's a red flag for me, but with some guys, it's just not really a red flag. Like I don't care that much. Um, like Wander Franco. Yeah. His OBP is like a hundred points higher, but it feels like if there's a season where he's hitting 320 with like a 368, 370 OBP, I'm not like, Oh, you need to walk more yeah. because the bat, that's that good. The bat's that good. And and that's the tough balance to find, right? Wander's another guy who can put the bat on anything. So it's it's that balance of like, okay, I'm going to be aggressive because I don't want to get deep into counts and I have confidence in my ability. But at the same time, you know, you want to be able to take what's what's given to you. Um, and, and I think Wander found, found that balance as he moved on, you know, to still be a little bit aggressive, but be able to wait for his spots 
And I think Matos will get there too, because at the end of the day, oh no, when I get deep into counts, like I can get to almost anything. I only struck out 12% yeah. of the time in my full season debut. Like I can survive if I take a called strike and get deep in the count. Like I don't need to take an early count swing at a breaking ball, you know, down in the zone. And, and I can wait and I can hunt that fastball that I crush because he does. He pulverizes them. Um, and, and that's what I'm excited to see. You know, he's got he's got an athletic swing. He's got an athletic build and he uses his swing like an athlete. Um, I see. Call me crazy. Um, I've got another swing comp that I'm a little bit more confident in a little bit later on in the top 10. But um, I see a little bit of Yohan Moncada with the swing just because like strong dude can turn, can burn, uh, and can hit it hard. Yeah, I, I love that because, I mean, it's it's just that the lower half is so explosive, uh, w- which I really like. And even though you're not getting maybe 40 home runs out of them, it's just line drives everywhere. Like, they're going to be guys that just spray the ball hard, and, and it's just going to find places to land. And it's the kind of guys that are line drive hitters that hit home runs. And that's what I'm expecting from Matos. I'd like to see him use the whole field a little bit more right now. He's, mm-hmm. he's looking to be a little bit pull happy out and around. He wants to go get it again because he wants to go get everything. Cause he thinks he can get everything. Uh, but this and, is he can. and he can, <laughs> and he can, and, and it might be harder at the other levels. But what I love is when it gets to the other levels, when he gets there, uh, it's all high fastballs. And people will see, as we talked to Joey Weimer about that on the Wednesday episode, of, of the Brewers yeah. org. He's just like, everyone says, Oh my gosh, there's so many high fastballs. And that's the hardest thing to hit. Like Matos can react to that stuff. Like he, he can get to that. No problem. And, and I'm expecting him to be good there. Uh, so it, it's going to be fun to watch him continue to develop defensively. I think he can stick in center. Um, he's an above average runner who is very instinctual and has all the tools to stick out there. Um, I'm expecting him to stick in center, be a, a good defender out there with, a really good offensive profile as an above average hitter with above average power. I mean, you got to be really excited about this guy and he's got good instincts on the bases can swipe bags as well. He had 21 of them last year in low a, this guy can do it all across the board. And I think uh, giants fans should be very, very excited for him. And I think it really is like Matos is not that, that far away from Luciano. Luciano's number one. Matos is like a step below that. And then I think it's everybody else. I really like Kyle Harrison. But I think you could put those two guys kind of in their own echelon, given their age and ability. Um, even if it is Luciano above Matos, I still think there's a cutoff below those two guys and then everybody else. You're the first mover on Matos. That high, you are the first mover. I mean, I like it, looking at all these other outlets, uh, they haven't decided to make that bump yet. Um, I, I think you're ahead on this guy. They will. They'll be there. They'll be there. Uh, by mid midway through next season, I think we'll see Matos in the top fifties everywhere. Um, but uh, another guy, Kyle Harrison, and this is right up your alley, Southpaw, yeah. uh, flamethrower, uh, just like you were. And <laughs> <laughs> this guy, talk about a fastball that plays, man. I mean, this fastball has crazy riding life. And Harrison was a guy, 2020 draft, third round pick, but big time slot over slot at 2.5 million. So you can really look at him as a first round selection. Uh, And that's the thing I always try to make clear is, yeah, you can look at third round, but as a high school guy in that 2020 draft and a, and a a draft that was dominated by college arms giant said, Hey, like let's go big here. And they gave first round money to a guy that was really exciting out of that high school class, but maybe not as 
much expected to get that kind of money as, as maybe some other people may have thought, uh, but fits the qualities that they like. It was a great first season for him. Uh, the command, you know, has a little ways to go, but he's a high school guy that went straight to low A. And in 98 and two thirds innings, Jack, he went and pitched to a 3.190 RA, a 3.48 fit. But most impressively, he struck out 36% of batters. I mean, he's a 19 year old in low A, struck out 36% of batters. This guy did everything you could have asked for, I think, in the first professional season. So I was watching uh, an interview that a local news station did with his high school coach. I want to say he went to De La Salle High School in Concord. Um, and they said that his uh, his freshman year, he came in and he was like 81 to 82 from the left side. And um, how do you define pitchability? Again, we've had this conversation before. Yeah, for me, it's feel for feel for the, you know, your entire arsenal and and also just it's just almost like this innate ability to pitch. I don't know how to describe it. It's like the professional hitter, but I, yeah. I would in a more concrete way, just ability to go to any pitch almost in any count and just that confidence and comfort to attack. You don't necessarily have to have plus command, but you have to be at least wary of a guy with good pitch ability that he's going to be able to throw any of his pitches at any spot for a strike. And I think Harrison okay. already has that. Yeah. So check. There we go. Good pitchability from Kyle Harrison as, you know, a guy that just finished up his first year of Pro Bowl after being drafted out of high school. Um, Kyle Harrison has a really good fastball. You mentioned riding life off the top. A lot of these left-handed arms have riding life on their fastball. Uh, He's got a good slider that he can backdoor. He can also whip across the plate. And then he's got a really good changeup, like really, really, really good changeup. The changeup's got crazy horizontal uh, break to it. So it's almost like a, a righty slider sometimes. Like it has that kind of that kind of fade to it off of a fastball that again, when you're a hitter, Jack, right? Like you're a hitter and you're wary of this mid-90s. The fastball is 93 to 95. And you're thinking mm-hmm. fastball up, right? I'm and ready. now yeah. you just got buzzed with that. Now you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I got I gotta be a little bit early for this thing. And yeah, now right. you get the combio that you don't know is the combio until you're already ready to go and see you. you're out on that front foot, right? Just throwing my hands out, throwing your hands at it. That is what Harrison is able to do. So for righties, you're doomed. And, and that's why I brought up Trevor Rogers is when you see the numbers, when you see the reverse splits from a deceptive lefty, usually deceptive lefty is miserable for a lefty, right? Like, cause everything looks like it's coming at your hip for Kyle Harrison, for Trevor Rogers. The reason why I comp those two guys uh, and Ken Waldachuk's in the same boat is they're deceptive, but the fastball change up their arm wags. They're so hard to see it out of their hand. It's like a slingshot that righties are, they're always going to have reverse splits. Rogers is reverse splits. Waldachuk's reverse splits. Harrison's reverse splits. Mm-hmm. But the difference is if you have a half decent slider, which Harrison does, it's above average. You can mix that in against lefties and the fastball slider is enough left on left to have success. Those three pitches, you're good. You're good. You'll be fine. It's just command. And that's why I love the Trevor Rogers comparison, because that was the question for him was command. And he didn't have that slider for a while. He changed the grip before his pro day or his MLB debut. And it became at least an average to above average pitch. That's all you need when you have that fastball from the left side. And Harrison's fastball is 93 to 95. Oh, grab a six or seven RPMs are off the charts, 94 or sorry, 2,400, sometimes pushing a little bit more in that department, which means that fastball is on a fucking line. Like that's that fastball is on just a straight rope. And that's why everything else plays up so well. 
Command needs some work. What, what do you see in the mechanics? I know this is where you nerd out a little bit more. I think the mechanics yeah. are good, but I mean, a young guy always has some some areas to go. Repeatable. Um, he looks stockier than he actually is when he's throwing the baseball. It's not a loose athletic delivery. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not necessarily Quintana type uh, precision with the delivery, right? Where it's quiet, 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 explode. It is rocking. Um, it is very similar to Trevor Rogers until you get to the release point. Rogers is very over the top. Harrison is more of a three quarters. Uh, and with Kyle Harrison, like what I'm seeing is a guy that can repeat, um, but could easily get thrown off horizontally. Right. And that's where he's missing, likely, because he's working around the mound and he's swaying his weight. A lot of the guys that miss vertically, it's, you know, a release point thing. The guys that miss horizontally, it's what they're doing before they actually get to the point of release. And Kyle Harrison has a lot of swing, has a lot of weight transition uh, before the release point comes, before he plants and is ready to throw. Um, So if he can quiet that down a little bit, that'd be good. But also, I don't think he needs to quiet it down because that is easily fixed by feel. Exactly. And and what's funny, too, is you talk horizontally. (laughs) What doesn't help is that. Two out of his three pitches are horizontal breakers where the slider, it breaks a ton horizontally and the changeup breaks 18 inches horizontally. So, okay. So you know what that means? That means that you are going to see some of the most disgusting swings put on pitches. Like they are going to be pitching ninja swords because you've got a changeup that's going to miss in the left-handed hitters batter's box. And a righty is going to be like lunging at it. And he's still going to miss by eight inches. If he figures out a way to start it on the outside corner on one, two, and that thing breaks into the other batter's box, that's going to be the strikeout pitch of all strikeout pitches. And what's amazing with that pitch too, is that he can miss and it could go back over the middle or, or he could miss somewhere else and it might still get a swing and miss because it's so nasty. Yes. So it's either yes. like perfect or if you mess up, you might still get away with it. And his, his numbers in, you know, his left or, or his numbers against righties last year, we'll back that up. They slashed 207, 329, 298 against him. Yeah. Which is insane. So no power either. You're just not squaring him up. Uh, so yeah. this is a guy that I see with, with number two upside, I think more likely number three chance in a number two. And I think if everything goes chaotically wrong with this guy, he's still like Caleb Smith or something. Like he's still yeah. going to be like a serviceable lefty that has a fastball that might get hit out of the yard from time to time, but he's going to get a ton of swings and misses. I just think that the worst case scenario was still big league arm. And the best case scenario is number two. And the most likely scenario is not that far from the best case. So I think that there's, when you look at the range of outcomes, I just see way more positive outcomes with him. That'd be a really nice Monday, Tuesday to his series. If you can run Logan Webb out there and then Kyle Harrison the next day. Oh, just change up misery for hitters. Yeah, it would Absolute suck for the opponent. Change up misery. Uh, we'll get to number four now. And, and this is where things get a little interesting. Because people might be yeah. like, oh, here comes Joey Bart. Yeah. <laughs> no, here comes a different catcher. It's Patrick Bailey. Um, and, and we'll, we'll get to Bart eventually. Um, eventually. That, that's, that's the nice little tease. hint. Yeah. yeah that's the Good little job. tease because, you know, I was, I was a little, I legitimately checked with, with multiple, uh, you know, people I just trust in the industry uh, that I just wanted to say, like, am I nuts here for, for, you know, where I'm stacking, how far apart I think these catchers are in terms of their long-term projection. And 
the unit, the consensus was, was no, you're not nuts. Uh, so, you know, I, I felt, I felt good about it. I, even if they said I was nuts, I would have needed like you're out of your mind because I, I just felt pretty confident about what I saw. And, and Patrick Bailey, and there's some things that I don't love about his game uh, at the plate right now. Like there's some things I would like to see adjusted, but he, he's another guy with absurd bat to ball skills, switch hitting catcher with above average potential defense. And, you know, when you have that field to hit, along with, with the defense that can come along. Did he light up the season? No. Uh, but what's really interesting about Patrick Bailey is you look at the fan graphs page. It's actually misleading because he started the year for, for, or he had a large stint in high a, and then he got hurt. He got concussed. He was dealing with some other injuries and went back down to low a after he returned from his injury and lit it the hell up at the end of the season. So you look at the high A numbers and I think the conventional thinking would be like, Oh, he had a good year in low a, and then they bumped him up to high a and he hit a wall. Wasn't necessarily that it was, he was in low a got bumped up to high a, then got hurt. It was struggling, got concussed, sent back to low a and finished the season spectacularly. And then was pretty good in the Arizona fall league. So my one thing is, you know, you expect a college bat to be able to dominate low A and you expect a college bat to be able to actually hit better than he did in high A. Uh, so I, I, I was encouraged by the finish to the season. There's no way to around it, no matter what he's what level he's playing at. It was a really encouraging finish to the season where he was he was really good. Uh, but, you know, this was this was low A pitching for a 21, 22 year old who is already a polished switch hitter at a power five school at NC State. Slash line. In three years at NC State, 302, 411, 568. That's a 979 OPS in the ACC. And the ACC, while it may suck in men's college basketball this year, <laughs> is second to the SEC in baseball. Every year. Yeah. Every year. Because there's so many good, and there's always good arms. There's always good arms in the ACC. Always good arms, dude. I mean, he was seeing Virginia. He was seeing Carolina. He was seeing Louisville. He was seeing Duke. Like he's seeing Clemson. He's seeing Florida State. You're Miami. seeing all these. Yeah, Miami. You're seeing all these top flight schools run their aces at you, and you are the focal point. Patrick Bailey, all three years at NC State, maybe except for his freshman year, because I think that was Will Wilson's year. Yeah. But Maybe his freshman year at at NC State. Aside from that, the last two years, you game plan around Pat Bailey. Like it was okay. Let's deal with this catcher because this guy's a stud. Let's let somebody else beat still, us. Yes, let's let somebody else beat us. But he still had an OPS twenty one points off of a thousand. Yeah. No, and, and as a catcher, is switching and catcher. So uh, like the guy can play. The guy can absolutely play. Getting nerdy about the swing. Bat to ball skills are great. His lower half is brutal right now, man. Like, yeah, I was watching some video, especially from the horizontal, like where you're looking open side at the plate. And I mean, you're seeing swings. I always talk about holding the back hip. And that was something that talked about with Joey Weimer when we went live and that's already on YouTube. You'll hear a little bit about it on the podcast too. That was a big change for him, for Weimer to, to take his game to the next level. You'll see he starts pre-stacked on his back leg, like his back leg is already bent and he's already there. And, and that's something that Griffin Conine talked about too. Like big adjustment he's looking to make is staying on that back hip. You can hear Tatis talking about it or tease. Like it's a big thing for, for guys, but some guys need it more than others. And some guys get there in different ways. The one thing you can't do 
is have your weight shift forward before you launch. And that's what Pat Bailey does. Like he is fully off his back hip and moving forward. His whole body's moving forward before his hands even start going all the way. That saps your power a ton. And you know what it does the most of all? At most of all, it makes it impossible to hit the elevated fastball. And that's yeah. why he struggled so much in high A. Uh, yes, he finished strong in low A, but you look at the heat maps of, of his. Uh, I, th- th- this was one of those, Jack, where I would have bet my life. Like I look at a guy's swing and before I get to the to the zone map, I would put my life on the zone being red as hell for swinging strikes on the elevated uh, top third of the zone would have put my life on it. And sure enough, you know, I get there and it was, it was egregious. How many balls, how much the percentage of swinging strikes in the top third of the zone. And that's all because of the drift, lose the barrel. And, and that's what happens. You lose your power. If he can stay in his back hip, if he can make that lower half adjustment, he has the bat to ball skills. He has the ability at the plate. He's almost too passive. Sometimes him and Matos need to get together and talk because uh, yeah. he's, he's too passive. Uh, if, if he can make those slight adjustments with his lower half and his approach, he's going to be just fine. You can't teach the bat to ball. You can't teach the switch hitting above average defender, good track record. I think he's going to figure that other stuff out. And I mean, the, the profile is just there. Yeah, it's there. And, you know, on the year across, what was it, three levels? Because um, he spent some time in the uh, in the ACL, too. He just spent two games there. Um, across the three levels, he slashed 265, 366, 429. I think that's what you can come to expect from him if he pans out at the big league level. Like, you're getting a catcher that's going to hit around 270 with an 100-point bump at OBP, and he's going to hit 15 to 20 bumps. Like that's kind of what we're looking at with Patrick Bailey. He is just a better, cleaner hitter than Joey Bart. Bart has a lot more power. He's got a stronger arm behind the plate, but Bailey is not bad behind the plate. But Bailey is just a better hitter than Joey Bart. But we've got another guy before we get to Bart. Yep. And let's get to him. So it's it's Elliot Ramos. And and you you talked about (laughs) aggressive, how teams are somewhat aggressive with their prospects. Ramos, for some reason, the Giants were (laughs) for some reason, they were extremely aggressive with Elliot Ramos. And that's what I I pretty much wrote in in the prerequisite to to his write up was we got to figure out basically what I what I went out to try to figure out when I did a deeper dive into Ramos was how much of this was a step back and how much of this was just unfair, aggressive development. Uh, And I think it was more so the latter. I still like a lot of what I saw with Ramos. I think we still had to shift our perspective on him from a one-time guy that we were looking at as maybe a future star. I don't think he's that guy, but he's definitely still a legit, legit prospect that just got way too aggressively sent through the minor leagues. And that's exactly what happened last year. We saw him reach triple a, he was in double a as a teenager, which is why was he in double a at 19 years old, Jack? I don't know. I don't know. Aram. I, I, and like he had put up good numbers for, for 40 games. So they were like, okay, so let's get him to triple a quick. And we missed a season in 2020. Like let's, let's make up for lost time. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. And he got picked apart a little bit there, but overall the numbers were not atrocious, right? Like it wasn't like he had some disastrous cheater downs esque season. He's an aggressive hitter at the plate and, and that held him back. But between double A and triple A, 254, 323, 426 slash line, 14 homers, 42 extra base hits, uh, 28% K rate, 8.5% walk rate. Uh, this is a guy that has tools across the board and, and I still think could be a really solid big leaguer. 
you're getting a lot better before I dive into Ramos for myself. You're getting a lot better at being a New Yorker because I hear the sirens outside yeah, and you just that? didn't acknowledge them. How bad no, I mean, they, it was fine, man. Um, but listen, I just want to acknowledge the fact that you are becoming a true New Yorker where you hear sirens and you're not thrown off. I mean, you no. didn't even stutter. That didn't was cool. Stutter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that it's funny. Cool. I, you get people like yelling from behind you or, or just, mm-hmm. you know, people going nuts behind you. And, and I always like jump still. And my friends are like, no, nah, you'll get used to that. Um, so I'm getting used to a little of everything, getting used to people yelling and getting used to the sirens. Um, but apologies for that. If that was a little bit loud on the, on the podcast, uh, no, you got to get out of that city, man. That's not you. No, this is not me. I'll, I'll be traveling a lot, watching all these prospects and hopefully yeah. getting to see Elliot Ramos, but yeah, we'll see if I can play a little bit with the, with the audio adjustments. If not, you heard the sirens and uh, yep. That's what happens when you're, when your podcast host moves to New York. Um, but mm-hmm. Ramos, Ramos, yes, Ramos, uh, he's going to move to San Fran soon. Yeah. Soon. Shouldn't be too soon. No. Um, I would like for him to be the September helper. Um, if we're being honest, like at the deadline, maybe San Francisco doesn't move for an outfielder if they feel like they need one. Uh, and I don't think San Francisco needs outfielders right now. They've got like no. 10 of them. So There's time like there is tons of tons of time. So let Ramos be in Sacramento. If he's there the entirety of 2022, stay la vie. Um, The worst thing that could happen to Elliot Ramos is if this lockout drags in because Ramos is on the 40 man roster, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the deal with the lockout is minor league baseball is going to start on time. The problem is the players that are banned from playing until the lockout is lifted are guys on 40 man rosters. So Ramos, like you don't want to miss 30 games of him just no. because no, that would, that would um, be, that's a good point. That would be brutal. Cause like, it would be brutal because that could throw off another year. I mean, he, yeah. he, he could be ready to go by mid season, even if he really makes those big adjustments, right? Like he's a guy that's a, it's, it's kind of a common theme with some of these hitters is just a little bit too aggressive. Uh, but at the end of the day has a lot of tools and has already shown that he can hit upper level pitching. Like he's done it. He's done it. It's just, he hasn't found that consistency. Uh, he has everything going for him. He's, he's closer to a, a slightly above average runner than the plus runner he once was, but his routes are good in center. I think he can play center if you need him to and be average out there. Uh, like a Kyle Lewis esque, like he's going to make the flashy plays. He's not going to be a liability, but he's going to be closer to an average defender. Uh, Lewis prior to the injuries and everything. Uh, but I think in a corner, you're looking at a, an above, well above average defender with a plus arm. So you, you're happy there. You've got the classic good defender in the corner that can play center field if you need him to and not be a liability. The bat profiles. Uh, I think the Giants, there's a reason why the Giants weren't willing to trade Ramos. When, when we were hearing reports, you know, and these were, were major reports. These weren't just rumor mill stuff that when the Giants were looking to add at the deadline, they weren't willing to part with almost anybody outside of Joey Bart. They, they were OK with parting with Joey Bart. But I was expecting Ramos to be on the table. I'll be honest, because I saw the the rise of Luis Matos. I saw the presence of the outfield that they had. Right. And you're looking at that and you're like, OK, well, maybe they trade Ramos. And apparently he was not even up for discussion which is a testament to the Giants, I think, on one side saying, yeah, we were a bit aggressive with this guy, but our our perspective hasn't shifted. I was really excited as a Chicagoan when I heard that Chris Bryant was going to go to San Francisco. 
because my initial thought was, Ooh, let's go Bryant for Ramos straight up. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, and they couldn't do that. So they went with Canario, who is a, a higher ceiling guy, probably, um, but a much lower floor, much lower Ramos. floor. Yeah. And then a, a couple of fillers after that. I think there was one more guy. It might have been a pitcher. Um, but, you know, when I when I saw that the Giants and Cubs were trade partners, I was thinking, OK, Ramos feels like the expendable guy here just because Lamont Wade and Stephen Duggar and Mike Yastrzemski and, you know, Darren Ruff, like keep on going. Um, and Ramos might be factored out. But it's obvious that Farhan and Gabe Kapler and the rest of the Giants brass is not ready to factor Elliot Ramos out. No. And, and I think they look at Yaz as a guy that's going to move from center eventually and, you know, not play as much there. And and it's kind of the might be the future of a guy that could could eat some starts out there. And and I think they still look at a timeshare out there. And, and that's kind of the future. They like those versatile outfielders that can do a little bit of everything. And he fits right in um, but yeah. to give you a nod. Actually, Caleb Killian was a the guy they ended up packaging in on that deal with Canario. And he was yeah. unranked in the giant system going into the year. Freak show had an unbelievable year after the trade and was incredible, incredible in the Arizona fall league, arguably one of the best arms uh, after the trade just was really solid. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see Killian, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure they would have preferred to have a one for one Elliot Ramos, but still a good return there. And um, San Francisco, man, like they were, they were willing to make a deal. You know, they gave up some talent, but I really think they weren't going to trade gyro Pomares, who we'll talk about. And they were willing to trade Joey Bart, but there wasn't really necessarily a need for the Cubs there. And I think Bart was a guy they were only going to trade for control. And Bart comes in at number six. <laughs> I know people are probably wondering where the heck was Joey Bart. Well, here he is at number six. Um, look, there's just a lot of things I didn't like. Uh, there, I, the more I watched a Bart, I watched him a lot in 2020. I tried to take 2020 with a grain of salt, which, which I did. And I really came back with it with a shifted focus in 2021. How are we going to look? How is Joey Bart going to look? I didn't see anything change in AAA. The only thing I saw change is the fact that he was playing in AAA, right? Like 107 WRC plus ton of K's still. There was no difference in Joey Bart, the player. There was only a difference in who Joey Bart, the player was playing against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to let that sit for a minute. Um, Bart, there are times when Joey Bart can't hit anything. Yes. Like there are times where he looks terrible at the plate. Like I am outclassed right now. Um, And I don't think that's a level thing. I think that's his commitment to the power thing. I think he wants to be a thumping catcher. I think he wants to be the catcher with 35 homers. Um, The easy comp is Mike Zanino. Yeah. And Zanino worked out this year. But Zanino was a guy that coming out of Florida was like, oh, he's going to be an all star catcher. And it took a while for him to not swing and miss at literally everything to become an all star catcher. Is there a world where Joey Bart is an all star catcher because he runs into 35, you know, bombs? Like, yeah. I, but I wouldn't bank on that. I would bank on him having a 38% strikeout rate the first time he's up in San Francisco for a legitimate amount of time. Yeah, I mean, we saw it in 2020, but that was rushed and forced and kind of a panic like Buster Posey opted out. What do we do? Um, and Bart yeah. was presumably ready defensively. Defensively, he, he's a big league catcher. Right? He's like good. He's, yeah, he's above average. He, he's an above average framer. He's got a good arm. He's going to throw guys out like the, the glove profiles. Honestly, like I, I had him higher for a while because I was like, there's still that outside shot. He can do what Mike Zanino did this past year. The more I watch, the less confident I'm in that even 
minute chance. And it's because he's he's six two, two thirty, 230, all muscle, and just stiff as heck. Like, so stiff. And I remember we were talking about that with somebody else, and you made, like, the Tim Tebow joke about just, like, how it just seems like everything's just so tight and, and there's no fluidity there. And yeah. you see that with Bart. So it's you combine the the aggressiveness and you combine the just desperation to try to do pull side damage with the fact that it just it's it's not it's not loose for him. It takes a while to get everything going. And you see that in his inability to hit velo. And when you can't hit velo and that starts to creep into the mind of a hitter, it, it undermines your whole approach, because similar to the effect that we we're talking about with the fastball changeup your whole approach is undermined because you got to cheat for the fastball. And that's why he's always pull happy. And when you get the breaking ball, you are really, really going to struggle because you're cheating way ahead for the fastball. He had an OPS hardly above 500 against fastballs, 94 and above. That's, that's pretty much all you see at the big league level. If you're OPSing 520 against fastballs, 94 and above, you're going to have a big problem. And, and that's a testament to just how stiff and slow he is. Uh, to get everything going there. I, I just don't see Bart as a guy that's going to really be able to consistently hit big league pitching. And I think you're hoping for like a Bobby Dalbeck type of outcome offensively, which, which is sucks, which sucks. That's not too overall. No. Is it with Dalbeck? If he rare was a catcher miss. at least. Yeah. Rare I, miss from San Francisco. Rare miss from a guy. And, and this happens, man, because when you're in San Francisco and you're, you're always so thoughtful and so dive so deep into these players and look for these qualities. Sometimes you just see a catcher that raked in college and you, you, you put your, your whole methodology to the wayside. Cause you're like, yeah, this is a college guy who mashed, right? Like forget all of our other methodology, college guy who mashed, let's go get him. I think the fact that the giants t- took Pat Bailey, cause I remember everybody was like, what, what the hell is that? It's a testament to the fact that I think they were already seeing the writing on the wall with Bart. The reason why Bart's still at six is he's a backup catcher. I think, most likely because the defense is going to continue to, to be above average and he still has power to run into baseballs. He can be a fine guy in that, in that realm. But, you know, I don't think the ship has sailed on him being a decent big league catcher. If he can be a good defender and run into enough baseballs, it's going to be a low batting average. It's going to be a low on base percentage, but if he can hit you 20 home runs and play good defense behind the dish, I think, you know, there's, there's enough value there. Yeah. So the floor is Tyler flowers. Um, that mm-hmm. name bounced around for a little bit and he was always a good backup catcher to have because he was a, a big boy who could run into some baseballs when he was in the lineup two days out of seven or three days out of seven. I think that's what Bart can be. I think when, when you see the the sinker baller, when you see, um, you know, somebody that might not be sitting at 95, like when you get to the back of a rotation and you want to give Bailey a day off, or if Bart is somewhere else, you're starting catcher a day off, get Bart in there with a favorable matchup where he's not seeing elevated cheese and see if he hits one of the 20 that he's going to hit you that year, which exactly sucks. Like it, it sucks because when you take a catcher, when you take a college catcher that hit the way he did two overall, uh, you just expect him to be really good. You expect him to be Buster Posey. And that's what they did with Buster Posey. I mean, this guy was best player in America at Florida state college catcher who mashed giants hit. They got a fringe hall of famer Yep, college catcher who mashed giants took him again he's not going to be a fringe hall of famer well they tried again with pat bailey and i think he's going to be somewhere between the two of them so it should Mm -hmm. should be it should be interesting uh number seven is a guy that i I think 
I've got to be higher on him than, than everybody else. This is another one yep. that you're talking about, like get, getting out ahead of Jairo Pomares. Man, was I impressed by this guy the more I watched. I mean, look, he's got some some improvements to, to make with his approach. Did he struggle a little bit after the call up in high A? Sure. Um, so do most hitters at, at his age, 20 years old at the time, first professional season. But this guy, the power grades I've seen on him are, are just off. Like <laughs> I've seen 55 on the power. This is a guy that has... 55 game and 65 yeah. raw power. Like, like I'm watching this guy hit routinely 110 plus 113, 114s, and to all fields. The spray chart's incredible and just easy. It's easy. He hits everything. Like, he hits fastballs, he hits breaking balls, he hits changeups. 900 OPS against all offerings across the board. And it's because he's a really good athlete with really good body control that you can't teach. The only thing he needs to improve upon, which is a common theme with a lot of these guys, is just is just the approach. And and he he had that approach exposed a bit more in high A because he loves to swing a lot. Uh, but I mean, when you can hit every offering, right? Like similar to Matos, when you have 900 OPS against fastballs, breaking balls, and changeups, how do you tell a guy like that not to swing a lot? So you know when you're watching a uh, you know when like you're watching a video of a swing and you just want to get the swing again and again and again and you have your mouse positioned exactly yeah. where you need to click on the timestamp and like you watch the swing and then you click and then you watch the swing and then you click like I did that like twenty times yeah. with one of these videos I think it was the one that you tweeted out mm-hmm. um, and I I went and watched a bunch of other swings of Jairo Pomares uh, and I've got a comp for you with the swing let's hear it. Jock Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely see that. It's horizontal. He doesn't finish over his shoulder. He more so finishes over like his bicep and tricep, uh, but he's got a ton of pop. Easy uh, lift. He's got that fl- yeah. Easy, easy lift. Like it is a Jock Peterson swing from the left side. That's um, funny. Right. I like I didn't, I didn't see it. And then I kept on watching and I was like, who is this? Like I, I initially thought, okay, it's a relatively longer swing. So like, are we going Bellinger, but also hell no, because that thing is super loose and like Pomares is, is not. Um, then I was thinking, okay, like it's kind of like Valera, but Valera is a little bit longer with his swing. Um, and I landed on Jock Peterson and, and I watched these two side by side and I was like, yeah, yeah. Jock Peterson. And the amazing thing is, is that Pomares, I would argue, especially at this age has better body control. Pomares is even Peterson struggles left on left, went all the way back to the minor leagues. Pomares was a, was an 819 OPS guy left on left, which against right handers, he was a 1045 OPS guy. But I mean, like he was, he was good against lefties. And what really impressed me with Pomares was you saw that big, easy lift, like just beautiful swing that you allude to. But also he got shifted a decent bit. And I saw so many swings where he let the ball travel and just chopped it the other way for a base hit. Like nobody on the left side of the infield and just chopped it the other way. And I'm like, that's a guy that that one is is ahead of his years a little bit, and and two, that's the kind of stuff that that takes you from two seventy to two eighty, you know that 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 really makes a little difference and is enough for the pitchers to to have that in the back of their mind of like okay, it, it's kind of hard to beat this guy at all. Fifty batted balls, one hundred five plus miles an hour last season, Damn. and I mean seven of his home runs traveled one ten plus, seven Damn. of them in his first pro season. The flip side of an interesting stat that, you know, is on the lower end is he walked once in 104 plate appearances in high A. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, just, just don't swing as much. Uh, he swings 10% more frequently than the average hitter. Um, and again, it's just, it's just a classic young hitter with great bat to ball skills who thinks he can hit everything. I'll take those guys, man. Give me all those guys. I mean, I know not all of them are going to pan out, but when you have the body control that he has, when you have the things that Matos has, I, I'm going to bet on both those guys being able to at least tame their approach down a little bit enough to where he can sprinkle in some walks and, and the contact, the bet to ball skills are always going to shine through. The, the defense is, is kind of a problem. He's not great out there, but he has not played many games at all. Only played 77 games of full season ball in his professional career. He can play center in a pinch, I guess, if his routes get better, but he, he's, he's a good defender in the corner. He'll he'll be fine. Yeah, like he's gonna he's not fine. gonna be Jesse Winker out there. Like like he'll be he'll be better than Jesse Winker out right. there. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to him. And like I said, at the end of the write-up, if he can cut down on the aggression in the box a little bit, there's a good chance he will be making kayakers and McCovey Cove very happy for years to come. Yeah. Can't you see him yanking them into that cove all the time? Moon balls. Talking about yanking here, Will Bednar can really yank a slider and it (laughs) flies, legit just flies off the plate. It's disgusting. Will Bednar brother of David Bednar, who rode his curveball to success in the Pirates bullpen. Bednar selected 14th overall 2021. Love the pick. Guy that probably will climb rather quickly. And I'd argue fastball slider combination that's ready for, for a bullpen right now. But they're looking to develop this guy into a starter because he's already got a good feel for a changeup. Bednar is a dude. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to sub out and let Peter Apple, who's another one of the co-hosts of this <laughs> baseball show, sub in here because like Bednar is the guy that he just latched onto. Um, yeah, I mean, Bednar's really good. He was, you know, you could argue aside from Jack Leiter uh, and Kumar Rocker, you could argue aside from Vanderbilt, uh, the best pitcher in the country last year. And Bednar, I mean, he struck out what, like 130 guys in 92 innings. Um, yeah. I mean, Sign me up for that. And like, he only walked 26 guys in 92 innings. Yeah. Um, the command is like not as bad as I think a lot of people want it to have it to be um, because he, he has good feel. He has good pitch ability with it, with the fastball and with the slider uh, changeup can get better. If the changeup is better, he's a three. And if you have a giants Dodgers series, again, I'm going to go back to this uh, four years down the road or three years down the road with Logan Webb, Kyle Harrison and Will Bednar. It's fun. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Yeah, that could be really tough. Bednar has the upside to be a really wipeout middle rotation type guy. The, the, here's the reality. He didn't need to throw the changeup ever, ever, ever. Why would he need to throw ever. the changeup? Like, no, I mean, like, here's the thing, though. Like, Jack Leiter didn't need to throw anything but the fastball because the fastball was so good. Like, that's yeah. the difference between college baseball and professional baseball. Exactly. So I, I'm expecting Bednar to find that changeup. He'll, he'll continue to get a better feel for it, and he's got a good natural feel to pitch. That's a guy that's going to climb quickly and uh, could, could be a rotation piece in the next two years, even if he can continue to find that third piece. Number nine, another weird lefty, another weird lefty, Matt Mikulski, second round pick in 2021 out of Fordham. Fordham guy over here, 6'4", 205, throws weird as hell from that left side. Fastball has giddy up. Change up is his best pitch. You heard this one before. Go Rams. Shout out the A-10. I mean, ridiculous. The Atlantic 10 producing baseball uh, product. How about that? But yeah, Matt Mikulski, um, 
interesting, weird. And uh, that just kind of feels like the guy that's going to crack the rotation and you're going to turn on the TV and it's giants Rockies, you know, like that's the latest game on. And you're like, Whoa, this guy's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. He's a top 10 prospect in this system and he's enjoyable numbers last year. I know that it's mid-major Fordham. Don't care because he led the nation in almost every single category as a starter, ERA, strikeouts, 68 and a third innings, 145 ERA, 0.82 whip, 127 Ks, 27 walks. I don't care if you're doing that in high school <laughs> against high schoolers. That's, that's just absurd. That's 16 strikeouts per night. Yep. 16 and a third. <laughs> like that's nutty. Gosh. And what it is, is, is the fastball comes from a spot that you can't pick it up. The changeup has crazy fade to it. And the slider is, is a good pitch that breaks a ridiculous amount horizontally. He's going to be able to attack right. He's going to be able to attack lefties. I'm looking at middle rotation upside here for a guy, but but a high floor of a swing man who, who can definitely pitch out of the bullpen and, and a guy that I think that the Giants will develop well. Speaking of develop, number 10 is going to be a guy that's a big test on their development is yeah. Averson Arteaga, who shortstop that literally is already a plus glove. He's a freak show defensively. I'm sure video was limited uh, for you as well. I could not find much on him, but everything I did, I did see and everyone who I did talk to on him loves him. The glove is insane from what I saw. And the bat actually was more interesting than I thought 18 year old with plus run times and some good bat speed. You'd see the athleticism make its way into the box. Good season at the complex. This is a name to watch. Someone that could rap- rapidly rise through the system moving forward. Yeah, to be totally honest, the only thing I know about Averson Arteaga is like from your write up. I I don't know shit about Averson Arteaga, no. so I will I will take your word for this. I sent you the Giants write up, and all I get in the replies Averson Arteaga. And it's like yes. yeah, just that as a text. I was like, dude, I don't know who this is, but you know what? Sign me up for an eighteen year old that you're ahead of the game on. $1 million in 2019 uh, as an international free agent. The glove is ready, plus runner, as I said. And I, I think there's above average offensive potential. I see an Oswald Peraza type of trajectory here for, for Arteaga. And that's why I, I really see it here. I really like it. Keep an eye out for this guy. He's going to be a name to watch. Other names to watch. We've got a few different guys, but we got to start with a guy that I just know you're going to love. Ryan Murphy right-handed pitcher. He was part of one of the more low-key, nasty division two, one-two punches out there at Lemoyne College, 15 minutes away from you and I's alma mater. Why weren't yep. we going out to Lemoyne College games, Jack? Where the hell were we? Uh, I was thinking about going to see Josiah Gray because I knew he was, uh, he was out on the Cape when I was in Chatham. Uh, Josiah Gray, I was thinking of going out to a Lemoyne Dolphins game to see Gray pitches last year at college, but I did not do it because I decided I would be a college degenerate and probably drink during the day instead of going to uh, a D2 baseball game. So uh, don't fault me for that. It shows you where my priorities lie, but Josiah Gray. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, listen, I'm all here for a command guy coming from D2, Ryan Murphy. He could be fun. His numbers were great. I mean, it's one of those questions of an advanced polished college guy. Numbers were great, but built off of pitchability. Can we see it continue? But I like the profile as a potential swing man, back end of the rotation guy. If his stuff ticks up, which we see happen so often from some of these D2 guys that get on like a legit program. Because remember, they don't have not not to not to slight division two. There's definitely some programs that do a great job, but most of the time they don't have the resources that division one program has. You get the D2 guy drafted, you get them on that regiment. 
And sometimes they see the biggest jumps. We saw that with Matt Brash at a Niagara, which I believe might be NAIA, but regardless, it's kind of D one. It's, it's D one low level D one, but yeah. it's kind of the same point though. Right. I don't think Niagara has the resources that some of these other programs might have. I can promise you Niagara does not have the resources yeah. that Mississippi state has. There's one more guy you're going to push back on me on. I know for, for not having him on the top 10, somebody you saw a lot of before we get to him real quick, just because it's going to be a couple minutes, Casey Schmidt guy. I saw a lot of in the Cape, a guy that will be on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. I, I'm, a, yep. I'm a big Casey Schmidt fan. Awesome guy. But beyond that, the glove is incredible at third base. He's a plus defender at third. No doubt about it. I'm very excited to talk to Casey about how, how he's working on getting into some more power because he has the raw power. It's above average raw power, a great field to hit. The contact rates are great. Uh, really the numbers I think uh, don't paint the full picture. Contact rates are good. Exit velos are good. Still figuring himself out. I think as a hitter, he was a two-way guy through college, finally just committing to, to being a third baseman. I think he was planning on pitching through pro ball. So that was a bit of a surprise to him really excited mm-hmm. to see how he he advances. And that's a guy that we'll get to talk to him in two weeks uh, about, you know, w- what he's looking to do to get into some more power at the plate, but definitely a guy that can be a 20 plus Homer guy at third with plus defense. I, that that's a, a guy worth following. Uh, but okay. another guy worth following still though. I'm a bit lower on him. Hunter Bishop. Yep. If you remember not that long ago, you stick in 10th overall. And since then, he has uh, not played much. Uh, some yeah. reasons, you know, 2020 season, some reasons just not being able to stay healthy. When we have seen him, it hasn't been pretty. Uh, sell me on why the 24-year-old should be, you know, a little bit more highly regarded maybe on this list. Yeah, so Hunter Bishop, uh, nice guy. I enjoy him down to earth. Uh, I was in Brewster when he was in Brewster. Um, I will tell you that he was an exit velo darling. Uh, his first two years of college and, you know, there were, there were stretches where he couldn't make contact uh, on the Cape and then something clicked midway through that Cape season. And this guy became a man among boys and he was a freak of nature for the last month and a half of that Cape league season. Uh, And then his junior year at Arizona state came around. And I think everybody associated with the Brewster Whitecaps, which was his Cape league team knew that he had the capability of doing what he did his junior year at Arizona state, but what he did his junior year was like national player of the year caliber stuff. And that's why he went in the top 10. Um, I think that there are times where he is a little bit overmatched by the level. And I think when you see him in double a Richmond, like he might be a little overmatched by the level when he gets to triple a, he might get a little overmatched by the level. And then I think when he makes his MLB debut, he's going to be overmatched. Um, But having said that, I think you have to give him an adjustment period because I think there is a world where, you know, it's a rough stretch for 30 games and then he's got it. You know, I think it's just going to take a little bit of acclimation. And I understand that in this business of baseball, you don't really have 30 games to play around with. Um, But if he can get through that 30 game rough patch, I I think you're looking at a guy who is a really, really good athlete. Um, You mentioned it in the write up. He was getting D one offers as a wide receiver. Like, He's an athlete. Uh, he's got staying power in center field. If Ramos doesn't work out, I I think he's still a really talented baseball player. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about that. Extremely talented. And it, if it clicks for him, there's no in between. He's going to be a really impressive guy that that's going to be able to impact the game in a lot of ways. So definitely worth following. Just want to get a chance to be able to see this guy play a bit more. So hopefully he can stay healthy and and that would be a fun guy to see, put it together for this system. Uh, yeah. A few more quick ones. 
maybe one of the lesser known deceptive lefties with a, a lively fastball. Nick Swinney. Uh, Nick Swinney's a guy I saw on the Cape quite a bit of lower 90s fastball, but gets a ton of swing and miss, ton of riding life. And uh, guess what? He has a changeup as well that works quite well and uh, flashes plus. It's just wild how he, how, how uncanny it is through the system, how they do this. The next Camilo Doval potentially could be Gregory huh. Santos. Gregory Santos. Maybe not quite as nasty as Doval, but triple digits fastball with a wipeout slider, 22 years old. Look out for Gregory Santos. He'll be up in the big leagues next year. I think he had a cameo last year. And then one more guy or two more guys from you that you can comment on that you saw a bit of last year, Luis Toribio and RJ Dabovich. Before I ask you about them, because that's what we'll wrap up on. Seth Corey, one other name to watch, struck out 32% of batters. He also walked 20% of batters. Um, That's sprayer uh, by definition. I guess the hope on Corey would be that you, you just get a lefty reliever there that gets a lot of swing and miss. Uh, but tell me a little bit about Toribio and Dabovich. Yeah, well, I think I think it was very funny. Seth Corey, you said non-existent command to lead off his write-up, which was hilarious. I thought that was very funny. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll start with RJ Dabovich. Uh, Dabovich, you know, big guy, 6'3", 208. He looks like a bullpen piece. Um, at Arizona, this guy was really, really good, and he was out on the Cape in 2019 with Chatham, um, and he was pretty solid there. He was like – so he got to ASU as a starter – Um, And then they turned him into a bullpen guy and Dabovich has bullpen stuff. Like, I think he can be that guy that um, almost Tommy Canely, right? Like seventh inning, he comes out here and it's like, damn, white boy throws 99. Like, let's go. So it's, it's that type of feeling with Dabovich. I think he can be a legitimate seventh inning guy. Um, And then with Toribio, I do like Luis Toribio just because I've seen the swing and I'm like, Oh wow, that looks pretty. It's smooth. It's smooth. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of uh, I'm a fan of Toribio's swing. He's obviously got to fill out the frame a little bit more, but this is a guy that could end up being a quarter infielder for the Giants in three years. Um, he's going to take a while, but shout out that swing, man! I love myself silky swings from the left. Yeah, side. yeah, just like Isan Diaz, right? Yeah, exactly. I love that stuff. That's the that was the classic one, though. That sometimes don't get too lost in the silkiness, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it could happen here, but really interesting guy. Uh, I think that's that just shows the depth of the system, though. These are guys that are 14th, 15th. They'd be ranked if, if we went beyond ranking the top 10. Dabovich is a guy that, that could pitch his way up to the bullpen by the end of next year because of how nasty Easy. he is. Punched out 49% of batters in 32 and a third's innings. Uh, and again, fourth round pick that you knew you were drafting as a bullpen arm. That's a testament to how. When you're drafting, it's like drafting a kicker. When you draft a kicker, you got to know he's going to be a legit kicker. When you draft a bullpen arm in the top five rounds, you got to know that guy's going to be a legit bullpen arm for you uh, in a couple of years. And I think they feel pretty confident about Dabovich there. And and that's, I I feel the same way. Uh, To wrap up on this giant system, Jack, I mean, what are your thoughts on it as a whole? And uh, I mean, it it is pretty impressive because not that long ago that we were talking about a system that was kind of thin. Um, and, and they didn't really do any fire sales or burn it down or, or trade any major pieces. And they were able to replenish this thing. Yeah, I hope we're talking about the Dodgers junior uh, in terms of development. I really do, because I think Farhan Zaidi is uh, 
one of the best executives in baseball. I actually think it goes Andrew Friedman one, Eric Neander two, Farhan's 83. Totally. And wouldn't you know it? I think those are the three best organizations at developing talent in recent memory. So uh, I look forward to seeing how this deep system turns out. I think in two years, we can look back at a lot of these guys and say, hmm, this was a hit. This was a hit. This was a hit. Whoa, this might have been a miss, but you know what? This was a hit, too. And maybe we were right about placing a certain guy a little bit lower than typical. Maybe we're right about placing a certain guy a little bit higher than typical. So uh, I think you've done good, and I think this is a pretty good system. I agree. It's it's a lot of fun. And on Wednesday, we have Joey Weimer interview dropping. That was a lot of fun. You watched a little bit of the live hitting discussion with Weimer. Uh, that's a guy that's putting it together and looking like a big hit from the draft. Uh, talk about like just a little bit about Weimer to get people amped up for that interview. Cause I, I, it's one of my yeah. favorites I've done already. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things like when you're at a bar and you see somebody that you don't know, like they might look like a freakazoid and then you go up to them and like, they're, they're kind of cool to talk to Yeah, like that. That's the Joey Weimer thing. Like when you watch him play baseball, it's like, Whoa, this dude is probably weird as hell. And then you talk and to him and it's like, okay, like he's the coolest dude ever. Weird as, yeah. It's like, yeah. fine. You're just weird as hell. when you get in the batter's box. Like I'm cool. He, and that, he knows so. it and he owns it. And it was really cool to talk to him about that swing breakdown with him already on YouTube, but on Wednesday, full interview with Weimer as well. Jack will connect again on Monday to go through another system. I don't like promising because sometimes we pivot, but it's going to be maybe Red Sox, maybe Guardians. We'll see. I'm leaning Guardians. I know that's what you want, um, but I've had Colby in my ear about the Red Sox too. So we'll, we'll, we'll see where we decide there, but one of those two. What else do you have to say about Jaron Duran, man? Let's go to the Guardians. <laughs> I think he's older than uh, Justice Winslow. Uh, yeah. I just love comparing baseball prospects to basketball players who have been around for like eight years, but He's yes. Jack underscore McMullen on Twitter. Uh, keep up with him there and on the Just Baseball Show. And of course, on Here Talking Systems, where I keep him for too long. And I am Aram <laughs> Layton. And we will talk to you. I will talk to you on Wednesday with Joey Weimer. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.